Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Father, I ask that you would be with us this morning, um, settle my heart and open all of our hearts and minds uh, to what you have to say to us this morning, Lord. I thank you so much for this church family, and I thank you for the chance to be here, Lord. It is a great joy, and I thank you for that, Lord. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Tyler Gorm. I have the pleasure of being one of the elders here. They needed a bald guy in that group, and we didn't have one, so... Uh, We didn't have a lot to pick from with our church demographics, so I kind of slid in there uh, with a final hour vote there. Um, But no, I get to be one of the elders here, which is a great privilege in my life. And once every six months or so, they let me teach because they forgot what happened the last time I taught. And here we are. We get to do that. Um, the, The irony is not lost on me that I am teaching today when it's crazy hair day back in Three Creeks Kids. Uh, So I want you to know I am participating. I have like a little bit of peach fuzz right here, and I kind of tussled it up a little bit. Um, So it's it's frizzy, if you want to know. There's also, there was a time, though, uh, that your boy had hair. So that, I know, right? This little shock factor for you. If you're waiting to see how I tie this back to generosity and greed, don't wait for it. This is just to kind of disarm us a little bit. You can take that down. Yeah, there was a time, though. Look at that. Julie's, Julie's sweating. She's like, man, that guy was handsome at one time with his red face from the warm tropical sun. That really doesn't tie to anything other than I want you to know I don't take myself too seriously, uh, but we take the word of God very seriously. And so today we get to talk about greed. Um, That's really fun because if there's anything people like talking about in large groups, it's sex, money, politics, and religion. And today we get to cover two of the four and we get to mix religion and our money. And so I'm very excited about that. Um, we are in week, I don't even know, of our series in Ephesians, and we are rolling through verse by verse by verse. If you are relatively new here, I want to recap kind of the big picture of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, Ephesians is six chapters long, it was originally a letter by Paul to the church in Ephesus. So he didn't write it as a chapter book, that's just how we've broken it down so that we can talk about it. The first half of the letter, those first three chapters, are really Paul's reminder to the Christians in in Ephesus of the gospel. He reminds them of things like the grace from God of their forgiveness comes through faith alone. He reminds them that their faith is sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is this big theological thing. Um, He reminds them that they're to walk in light, and we'll talk about that a bit today. And so he reminds them of the gospel and that it's through grace by faith alone and not by works. And then he pivots in chapters 4, 5, and 6 to what do we do? How do we respond to that? Uh, We've said, I think, every week of this series, it's no coincidence that he reminds them of the gospel first so that we don't take these commands in the second half of the letter as some way that we have to work harder to earn God's love or to earn our way into heaven, but that because Jesus already did that for us, we have a response to make. If we truly believe that that's been done for us, it makes sense that our lives would look different because of that. Um, So talking about greed this morning, let's do a show of hands. I think you guys are a smart crowd, so I bet you get this one right. Raise your hand if you think money can buy happiness. 
Okay, but have you ever been on a jet ski? That's not my joke. I forget who I stole it from. All right, but I gave myself this quiz last night. Raise your hand if I told you Oprah Winfrey was in the back and she had $10,000 for everyone here. Would you feel a little bit happy about that? Raise your hand. Yeah, right? So you failed. We all failed. I gave this test to myself. I made it up as I'm in the shower and I thought, I think I answered the second question wrong and I made up the test, right? So there's some connection to us hearing and thinking, Oh, money can't make me happy. And then out of the other side of our mouth, we think, well, but if I had more money, I'd probably be a little bit happier, right? So we, there's this disconnect where maybe in theory, we think one thing, but the way our hearts are bent and the way that we live our lives, maybe money has a little bit of grip on all of us. Um, today, we'll talk about greed and covetousness, and we'll talk about what the word covetousness means. When I hear greed, I think of Scrooge McDuck. He was in like, he's like the off-brand duck character in the Disney, I don't know, I had to look up his name. But I have this clip in my head of Scrooge like diving into this, he has this storehouse of gold coins or something, and he's just swimming in it. Like the dude loves money. And I think, well, that's greed. So you have to, this is how simple my brain is, I think you, you have to have a lot of money to be greedy because you have to have something like in your possession to actually love it and desire it, right? But um, that's really not how it is. Uh, our friend Trey Gilmore over at Contrast Church taught on greed last week, and he unpacked this really well, where if you don't have enough money from an earthly standpoint, right, if times are tough, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you're not sure where grocery money is going to come this week, we, even in that scenario, we can feel the impact of greed. We can let greed and a desire for more money kind of blind us and even impact our faith. If I'm thinking, man, I don't even have enough food on the table. How does God really love me, right? Uh, for the middle class, those that, you know, we've got enough money for groceries. We're not really worried about where our bills are coming from. Um, but if I'm in the suburbs, I'm always thinking about what is the next step, right? Like just last night, my wife and I are in our backyard. We live right across the street. And we're laying on the hammock. And I'm like, dude, this is as good as life gets. There's birds chirping, laying in a hammock in our backyard, in a house that God has blessed us with. I'm 12 hours from teaching on greed and covetousness, and the next thought that comes through my head is, but I bet this would be even more relaxing if it was in the middle of two acres. Like, that is the level of greed that's in my heart, and I don't think I'm the only one. And for those of you that make plenty of money and money's not an issue, um, there's plenty of warnings. Uh, if you're a believer, I imagine you've seen them in the Bible about the weight that you have to carry with having that money. If there's any Lord of the Rings fans, I think of it like the one ring where whoever has it doesn't want to give it up. And there's a weight and there's a level that that can take over your heart. So I think that regardless of where you're at on the income spectrum, that money and covetousness for money um, and greed can have a place in any one of our hearts. So I think that just kind of level sets that wherever we're at, we, greed can have a hold of our hearts. So I want to disarm us a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't have said I'm going to disarm you. I feel like that's not tactical. Um, but if you would just bear with me for 20 or 30 minutes more, because greed is a heart issue, if I say you might be greedy and you get defensive, it means we might have something to talk about there, right? So I just want to invite you to have an open mind and an open heart today. If greed isn't an issue for you, then you have nothing to worry about, right? 
Um, but if we come in with an open heart and think, what might the Bible have to say about this issue and does it apply to me, uh, we might leave here with some way that we can look more like Jesus in the end. So we are in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 5 today. So I'm going to go ahead and read those. Um, and like I said, we're going to crawl through verse by verse, folks. So Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 5. Some of this will look familiar because we've talked about this passage in a different context. Uh, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Uh, so first, in verses 1 and 2, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, and as believers today reading this, we can kind of take that as he's telling us or we can learn from this, to be imitators of God and to walk in love. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What does that mean for us today? Is it, um, you know, how does that apply to what we're talking about today? To reflect Christ or to be modeled after Christ uh, with regard to this, Paul says, hey, the example is the guy that laid his life down. And to walk in love means that you are living in such a way that is others focused, right? I can't walk in love by myself and I can't walk in love and only think about myself because that's love of self, which doesn't really equate within the Bible. So he's saying, hey, this example that you're following, remember that that's the guy who gave his life for all of you, right? So it's a pretty high bar that we should be going after. Um, and it means to live a life in service of God and others. So it means that your, your purpose in life as a believer isn't just your own happiness. And you can probably see where we might be going with that later on. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. First, I want to say that I'm reading from the ESV uh, just because at some point someone told me that the ESV was good. And I was like, sure, that, that makes sense to me. Um, but this passage or this uh, translation uses the word covetousness, which isn't specific to greed. And so if you're sitting here and you know for sure money is not a problem for you, um, this could be coveting of any kind, right? You may covet a human. You may covet um, the way someone else looks or something else that they have. Any form of covetousness or of wanting, wanting something that someone else has or wishing that your life in some way looked like theirs is coveting. Um, but today, so that I only have one rabbit hole path to, to go down, we're going to focus on that of greed. A few weeks ago, while talking about sexu sexual immorality, um, we talked about this idea of not letting it be named among you. The Bible, I, I love when it's just really black and white. And I think in this case, when he says, don't let it be named among you, Paul is saying, flee from it. Like, don't even be close to those, those things. Don't toe the line and say, like, hey, is this, is this okay or is this okay? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if your right arm's causing you to sin, cut it off. Like, just don't even go near it. Uh, so just to set the stage that it's not that you're, you know, you're going to hell if you have a thought of greed. But the idea that if a little bit of greed is creeping into your life, you should want to flee from that. So this idea of covetousness um, applies to more than just money, but I think 
that when we talk about money, it can really pack a punch because it, it can be so pervasive for us. But is it really that big of a deal? Like, is this just one of those commands that's kind of like, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about our language, and that's one that can impact people. But I'm thinking, you know, if I cuss every now and then, is that like the worst thing if I'm following the law all the way through? Um, one, we would say, yeah, if that's something that you feel called to do, clean up your language. But Paul does not pull a punch on this one. Let's read in verses 4 and 5. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So he says, if you're covetous, you're an idolater. And I thought, what's an idolater? And that's not just like a pastor joke to pretend that I didn't know what it was. I thought, okay, idolatry, they make these tiny gods that they worship. How bad is that? It's the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. That's pretty ugly. I don't want that to be part of my life. The worship of idols or excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. Turning money into an idol means that our heart position, our focus is shifted away from God and onto this created thing, right? I can pray with my kids and say, God, thank you. I always say for our warm, dry house because I just think there are people who are outside tonight and it's raining or it's cold and that's not the case for us by the grace of God. 20 minutes later, I'm on realtor.com seeing if there's anything new that's popped up you know, near my church friends, like Gehanna, Real, you know, Blacklick, how are we looking here, right? So I can say that I know these things in my head, but the way that my actions and my heart actually play out, I've got some greed in there. I've got some covetousness in my heart. Again, we've, we've said that this carries a weight, and to be an idolater, okay, that doesn't sound like something that I want to be a part of, just to like add extra emphasis, the first commandment is to have no other God before God, right? So he's saying, don't craft these idols. Don't have any other God before me. And then he wraps up the Ten Commandments, which we can talk about how those apply to Christians another time. But the last one is do not covet. So two of the Ten Commandments are to not have a God before him and to not covet. This is wildly important to God as it relates to how he wants our relationship with him. We're not out of the woods yet. It gets a little bit worse before it gets better. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I read that and I thought, well, surely he's not talking about, you know, not going to heaven. That can't be what he's talking about here because we're just talking about money. Like we're just talking about this thing that everyone has to some degree or another, or is it just another sin? Is it just another problem? And thankfully, I think there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel for those that are following Jesus, but what is Paul saying here? First, I want to say that Paul does not just throw away his words in these letters. He's not just tossing things out that may or may not be true, and the fact that this is scripture, um, at our church we believe that scripture is inspired by God or God-breathed, so this, these are words from God that we want to follow. And so that means we don't get to just gloss over this idea of no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And there are a few interpretations of this by people that are much better theologians than your buddy Tyler here who's doing his best. But the one that um, 
makes the most sense to me, and that is, there's kind of a consensus around from pastors that, that I follow and, you know, feel are trustworthy so- sources, is to say that if you are continuously living in that covetousness, if you are content with having that idol or with that slanderous talk or sexual immorality, if you continue to follow down that path and there's no repentance, there's no part of you that is rubbed the wrong way by your own sin, it very well may be that the gospel hasn't actually gripped your heart in a way that would suggest salvation. Does that make sense? So that's not to say that if I'm a believer and I love Jesus and I have a moment of thinking, that was a pretty cool Ferrari I just passed, maybe I'd like one of those someday, or to a smaller degree, as I'm preparing for this message, my Google Chrome is just full of guitars and guitar pedals. It's like the most embarrassing, childish thing, and it it. And I can covet those things. Is that to say that I'm going to lose my salvation in a moment of covetousness? No, because I love Jesus. I've put my full faith and trust in his saving work on the cross, and I know that I am saved by grace through faith alone. But to live, if I was living a life that just loved money and only pursued money, and that was my entire purpose, but then I also like tack on going to church on a Sunday, it might suggest that this is just religion and not an actual change in heart that I believe in my heart that Christ has saved me. Does that make sense? I hope it does, um, because there's a lot of weight to that, and I just don't want to gloss over it. Now, there are times in Paul's letters where in 2023 we think, well, we are much smarter than the church in Ephesus or in Corinth or wherever that may be. We're modern people. This couldn't apply to us. This must have just been something that Paul was saying to that church at that time, Maybe Ephesus was an especially greedy place, and so he's like really warning them. But in Gehenna in 2023, that's probably not an issue. Um, when we start to do those mental gymnastics, one, I think that that's really dangerous. And two, I also like to see just like, what did Jesus say? What did the King of Kings have to say about this topic? Um, because then we can even take Paul, though inspired by God when he wrote, I think all of us can say like, if Jesus said it, I don't even have to like take as much of the context because he tends to speak more directly to all of his followers as opposed to individual churches, if that makes sense. So let's see what Jesus had to say about having treasure in heaven in Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A love of money and a continued pursuit of money for the sake of money is incompatible with a love for God and a life that serves him. I wish so badly that I could thread the needle and have some way that you can continue to follow and pursue worldly gain for its own sake and have this, but the Bible doesn't leave room for that, and so I don't want to tell you that. You can be ambitious, and there's nothing wrong with having money today as long as you know that that money is a tool to be used to build God's kingdom. He's saying you can serve money or you can serve God, but you can't have both. So if you have money today, that is a blessing from God that is a tool to be used to serve others just like any other possession or gifting that we have, right? It's not bad to have money so long as you're using it to build God's kingdom and not build your own kingdom. 
I don't know if it's humid in here or if there's just a weight to the conversation. Maybe I had fewer like one-off jokes that I was hoping for a pop. I think I, that might be part of it. Um, we're quiet this morning and that's okay. I want you to know that there's, there is hope and not just for the sake of having like three bullet points to say at the end that then the band knows to come up. That's happening too. That's just kind of part of how we do things. Um, but there is hope. There is a path forward. And I have gone through this myself and continue to do it. Like I said, this is something I continue to want to put away further and further and further for myself. Um, so these are scripturally based, and my wife and I are also trying to walk the walk and talk the talk on these. Um, so if any of these hit, let me know, and we can go through them together. Uh, the first, how do we heal our covetous hearts? The first is contentment. Um, raise your hand if Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or through he who gives me strength. Uh, Tim Tebow fans used to write Phil 413 on his eye black, like that looked tough. For a while, Tim Tebow was like his own denomination in the church. Christians loved this dude. If you don't know who that is, uh, to the other half of the room, and this isn't just male, female, to the other half of the room, he was the football player on Fixer Upper that Chip and Joanna Gaines flipped a house with. Um, so that probably covers like most of us in this room. Um, Tim Tebow, you know, he uses this. The dude loves Jesus. I'm not ripping on Tim Tebow. Evander Holyfield, uh, he was a boxer. He had Philippians 4.13 on his robe and on his trunks uh, when he upset Mike Tyson and knocked him out. And to, to this day, or I don't know if he's, I think he's alive. Throughout the rest of his career, he would sign Phil 4.13 at the bottom of his signature. Like, dude was ready to fight. He's going to knock you out through the power of Christ. Uh, but we love this verse. It's like Top Gun Maverick to me. I, I love Maverick, <laughs> I test this. I got on Morse Road and punched it, man. I'm like, I am Maverick, but I drive a Prius. So we went, from, we went from 30 miles an hour to like 35 miles an hour as fast as the battery could take us. Um, but Philippians 4.13 is not about being able to knock someone out. If you want to use it for that, I, I don't care. The context of Philippians 4.13 is contentment, which is remarkable. Uh, in ver starting in verse 11, Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This applies to all of us. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, the secret of having more than enough, and the secret of having not enough, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is wildly different than the way we usually apply this verse. Paul is telling us the secret of a good life, and that's contentment. That regardless of what my material wealth says today, I am to be content. That one's a little bit harder to just become content, right? For a while, I've prayed, God, help me to be content. It's like, do I meditate and just think contentment? Or like, how does that actually shift? Um, so the second is a little bit more practical, and that's gratitude. Um, earlier in Ephesians 5, 4, Paul gave us kind of this list of things not to do, and he says instead replace them with thanksgiving or with gratitude. That's to say that if I'm reflecting on what God has already given me, if I'm reflecting on the fact that we're in a house that is, is warm and dry and the roof doesn't leak, and we can afford to live there in 2023, that is bonkers. To be grateful for what God has already given me is going to force me to be more content. And when I have those thoughts of discontentment with whatever it is, if I think of what I already have, what God has already given me, and the fact that 
everything that I have is from God in the first place, that all good gifts are from the Father above, I'm almost forced into a place of contentment because it would be wild for me in one side of my brain to think, God, thank you so much for giving these things. Could you please give me a little bit more? Like, our sweet daughter Emery does that with squishmallows, these like stuffed animal things. She's got 16 of them. She just got 1,000 more for her birthday. She had money from her birthday, and she's like, well, clearly, we're going to go get more squishmallows. I'm like, I understand. I get it. I, I get it. It's just in us. And that's not to rip on Emery because I'm afraid she gets it from her dad. Um, but that's in us. The pastor John Piper put gratitude in relation to this this way. When our enjoyment of something tends to make us not think of God, it is moving toward idolatry. But if the enjoyment gives rise to the feeling of gratefulness to God, we are being protected from idolatry. The grateful feeling that we don't deserve this gift or this enjoyment, but have it freely from God's grace is evidence that idolatry is being checked. The theologian and great and wise man, Maya Williams, who some of us know, he's part of the Three Creeks launch team. He's a pastor up in Michigan now. Told me once, it's okay to have things as long as things don't have you. And I think that distills this down so well, that it's okay to have stuff, but don't let those things hold your heart. And lastly... Our, th- our third point of curing uh, covetousness is generosity. Working alongside contentment and gratitude, I pray that we can reach a point where our hearts are truly content and where we are truly grateful for the things that we have. For most of us, our discontentment, and most of us saying, speaking in America, um, especially where we live, the, once we can reach contentment and thanksgiving, any greed that we have left over, in my opinion, is self-inflicted. It's us wanting more and more and more when we already have enough. And so my hope is that when we reach this point or as we get better at practicing contentment and thanksgiving, we look at our finances and we say, whoa, there's actually more than we have. Biblically, what am I supposed to do with this? Some of you might feel defensive right now because you thought, church elders talking about money, of course he's going to get to generosity. You're just after my tithe. I don't care about your tithe for the sake of our church budget. I truly, I could not care less. I care so much more about whether or not money has a hold on your heart. If we can fix that, our church is going to be just fine. You don't have to worry about the bottom line. The, in the Old Testament, we have this tithe that's like a 10%, and they're supposed to give 10% of what God has given them right off the top immediately. The New Testament, that's not abolished but it's also not commanded explicitly. Like if you're looking for a practical takeaway to this, um, what we see in the New Testament, unfortunately, as time and time again, Jesus tended to do, and we see the church in Acts do this, is this above and beyond form of generosity where Paul thanks churches for giving, you know, to their means and some even above their means. Or we see people selling the farm to be able to give to those in need, right? We see it time and again where It is not a legalistic, it needs to be this percentage. There are some, there are plenty of pastors that that believe and see it that way because that's what's taught in the Old Testament and that's fine. Um, The way this plays out for us is, are we giving to a point that feels sacrificial? Are we giving to a point that, whew, I will look God in the eye someday or as close as I can get to that given his holiness and be accountable for the gifts that he has given us I'll still be staring at his feet because I'm sure I'm screwing up. But man, I don't want to have to look at that and look at my report card and say, yeah, thank you so much for giving me all those things. I'm real sorry I used them all for myself. 
I think the most practical passage for this is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we're moving away from greed and covetousness, it becomes so stinking fun to give money away, whether that's to the church or to missionaries as the number one way that we're seeing life change and the gospel spread, or if that's giving to people in need, which is also commanded time and time and time again in the Bible, it becomes fun to let that be a part of your way of life. And this takes planning as well, right? I don't know anyone who is just sitting and looking at their budget and they just have like this unmarked 10% or whatever that there's like, oh, we just usually put that under the mattress, right? It takes planning practically to say, what proportion of our money do we feel called to give away, to save, to spend, whatever that may be, so go home and plan that. Talk with your spouse, or if, you, if you're not married, look at your own finances, talk to a friend about how they're managing it, and plan accordingly, because I don't think that these things just happen where we're not supposed to give under compulsion. We're not supposed to just, you know, every now and then when we feel called, our greedy hearts are gonna prevent a lot of that. So make a plan for it. And lastly, I think the really fun thing about these things, contentment, gratitude, generosity, they're all so intertwined that whichever one of the three looks most approachable to you, I encourage you to start there. If that's in contentment, then pray that the Lord would bless you with more contentment. Practice that. If you are married or have a roommate, call each other out on it. Like I know that when I'm starting to con be discontent with something, if I express that to Julie, that feels weird. I know that that's not the way I'm supposed to be. Um, but maybe you start with gratitude. Maybe you, I mean, people, this is outside the church. People have found benefits of a gratitude journal, right? You're writing things that you're thankful for. Start there and see if contentment and generosity don't come uh, along with that. And if you're not sure where your heart's at on the first two, try giving money away to the church, to missionaries. We have missionaries uh, spurring off the Huffmans here at our church. Give to them and see if that doesn't change your heart on the first two. So I'm gonna pray for us. I pray that something today stuck out to you um, and that you'll be able to take that with you as you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Help us to love you so much more than money. Um, in, our, in my own home, help Julie and I to model that to our kids. Help us to have joy in the things that you've given us. And I pray that you would cure the disease of covetous and greed in my own heart, Father. And for any of my friends here today, um, that this is something you want to speak to them, Father. I pray that we would go home and look at our finances like we're looking in the mirror and see if it, whether or not it reflects uh, what you've done for us. Thank you so much, God. We love you. Your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.